This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Look, I want to say hello to everybody, but first a comment. Um, I don't, but two people told me yesterday when I was at Colts camp that I look really good with some face. So I'm keeping it personally. Uh, I don't like it. Makes me look too old, too much gray. But we're keeping it for today, and I apologize for the beard because, frankly, uh, it looks unkept. And by the way, if you want to buy a Dockets Fan Club t-shirt, I think we're going to sell them. El Presidente, Sean Black, uh, made these, and I think I'm going to have BSN Sports make some up. We're going to sell them, and we're going to take the money and give it to our bikes program. Uh, So that's why I'm wearing... This, that, and the blank off all the indie media that dislikes me so much and I get to see out at Colts camp. All right, let's get into stuff, shall we? Uh, first and foremost, I, don't, I didn't even talk to my producers about this, um, <clears throat> but a few days ago in Little League Baseball, pitcher hit batter in head. Batter was okay. Batter went down. Batter went to first base. Pitcher was beside himself. The kid on first base came over and hugged the pitcher, which I think is an unbelievably great sports moment. I think it's incredible. But then I started looking, and people online were ripping these kids. Oh, soft. Are you crazy? Like, I'm not, I'm not dignifying any adult that rips the kid for going and hugging the pitcher. That was insane to me. I didn't know this. I didn't know that people were actually ripping, like, What, are we so soft? Are you crazy? That was a great and is a great moment and a moment that will stand the test of time. Again, I was going to talk about it today and show the negative. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying get over yourself. That was a great moment. Two kids, 12 years old. Man, unbelievable that people actually had the audacity to say something mean to a 12-year-old who did something so great and extraordinary. World is nuts. Uh, speaking of world is nuts, Serena Williams lost yesterday uh, her, her farewell tour. And I'm a big Serena fan. Like, I talked about Serena Williams. I, I couldn't tell you, literally, I used to be able to. But as we get older, our priorities shift. I used to be able to tell you the top 10 women tennis players in the world. I did. I followed it all. I loved to play tennis. Didn't play in high school, anything like that. Just loved to play. Um, and Serena Williams was my all-time favorite. Chrissy Everett first, and now Serena Williams. But Serena Williams lost uh, yesterday. And then, you know, there's a column by Mark Harris, one of our writers here at OutKick. And I got to tell you, go to OutKick.com for the best sports coverage. It's incredible what we're doing here at OutKick. Swear to God. But Serena Williams is mad at biology. Serena Williams is mad that she has to be a woman and choose family or career. She really doesn't have to. Here's what she said. Let's put on uh, what she said. And I, I just don't get this. You know, believe me, I never wanted to choose between tennis and a family. 
I don't think it's fair. If I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. That's biology. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You know, my wife, when she was a softball coach, as a single mother who had just gotten divorced, gets the Syracuse job, and she raised two kids. I mean, she did it. She did it with help, but she felt blessed to be able to have two kids. She felt blessed to be able to have two kids that are healthy. You know, it, it, and I just, she's worth $250 million. Husband's worth $40 million. They have more than anybody else in the world. They're the great, she's the greatest champion ever. Blessed to have a child, a healthy child, but it's just simply biology. I mean, you can swing it however you'd like that maybe guys now can get pregnant, all that kind of stuff. Whatever you want to say with that, you go ahead and do. But the truth of the matter is you can't be mad at biology. We can be mad at a lot of stuff. We can be victims over a lot of things, but biology is what biology is. And you can play. You, you got 400 million dollars between you or whatever it is. Hell, get a 10 nannies and go play. You want, I think, the U.S. Open while being pregnant. I mean, damn. I love Serena Williams. I do. I'm fascinated by it. But, I, you know, you, everybody can't be a victim over everything, particularly biology. Biology is what it is. Man, oh, man, I saw that, and I thought to myself, what are we talking about? It's a great article if you want to see it. Go ahead to outkick.com. And I'm really, as you guys know, I'm not really on here always promoting everything that we write, but I read this, and I thought to myself, what the heck? Man. Uh, Next up, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about Deshaun Watson starting the first preseason game? There's two sides, right? I don't think he should play because he's suspended. Even though there's an appeal, he's still suspended. A lot of people feel that way. The other way to look at it is if I'm the Browns and I'm Kevin Stefanski, I want to get Deshaun Watson on the field and get this whole thing over with. Now, here's what I mean by this whole thing over with. I mean put him on the field. There's only a first time, one time, right? There's only one time to make a first impression, right? There's only one first time. And by putting Deshaun Watson and starting him in the first exhibition game against the Jaguars, guess what? You're putting him out there, and you get rid of a lot of stuff. Does it mean it's going to come back? Of course. Of course it's going to come back. Everybody knows it's going to come back. All you got to do is wait until the ruling comes down on the ruling. Six games right now. The whole thing's being appealed. Goodell was very loud yesterday or two days ago about Deshaun Watson's, quote, predatory behavior. He wants him a year. He wants an indefinite suspension. He wants a big fine. I get all that. I do. I think we all get that. But Kevin Stefanski, I mean, he's got a plan, right? And Kevin Stefanski's quote was, look, I'm confident in our plan. He said, obviously, we will adjust based on information. You know what that information is. That information is what comes down from the second arbitrator. 
I'm comfortable in what Jacoby has done to date with his reps. He's gotten a lot of them. He's gotten some with the ones and some with the twos, and we will stick to our plan absent any new information. Well, the reason that's up there is because people want to know, look, the guy is suspended. I don't think the suspension's going away. And Deshaun Watson was getting the vast majority of snaps with the ones. But Kevin Stefanski knows that he puts Deshaun Watson out there. They answer all the questions to putting Deshaun Watson out there. And then basically, basically, depending on what happens, Deshaun Watson either goes away for six weeks or he goes away for a year. But you've at least put him out there, shown that we are confident in this guy. He is our guy. He is on the field. And remember this, 99.999% of fans, and maybe that's too high, are going to boo, maybe, cheer when something good happens. I mean, let's be honest. Cleveland fans want a winner. That's why they got Deshaun Watson. Period. They didn't get Deshaun Watson to make some moral statement that we're going to bring him back and give him a second chance. Cleveland, its ownership, its coaches, its front office, and its fans are desperate for a winner in the foots, in football. So you bring Deshaun Watson out, you put him out there, and you've, you've jumped one hurdle. There's a lot of hurdles in this. Don't get me wrong. There's a ton of hurdles in this. But you've jumped one of them. One. And that is he's out there on the field for the first time in two years. Do I think it's a great thing? Not necessarily. But I understand... I understand where the Cleveland Browns are coming with this. I do. I think most people do. I think most people understand, wait a second, if you really look at it, I mean, there are going to be those that say, hey, look, Deshaun Watson wasn't convicted of anything. He should be out there playing. Two grand juries looked at Deshaun Watson, and they neglected or, or decided not to even bring criminal charges. That's one camp. The other camp is, hey, man, 30 women weren't lying. It's one thing to have one he said, she said, but 30 women, I don't care if you settled with most. He should never be on a field. There's that camp. There's those two sides. And frankly, you're never going to convince one to move into the middle. The only way you convince one to move into the middle, if whoever is on either side is a Browns fan and they start winning and then they come into the middle. It's, I mean, it's literally that simple. So you throw Deshaun Watson out there, you get that one part, that one part out of the way, and you go. I'm telling you, that's what the deal is. And I understand it. Do I like it? Not really. Not really, but I understand it. Uh, Next, I'm starting to like Tua. I think every time I say Tua, I'm going to say it like Tua. Look, obviously, the Miami Dolphins wanted and maybe still want Tom Brady. Obviously, because make no mistake, for people that actually are paying attention to this kind of stuff, uh, the Miami Dolphins did not get hit for fixing games, throwing games, tanking games. They didn't get hit with that. They got hit with tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton. That's what they got hit with. 
But guess what? I like me some Tua. Tua Tungavailoa said very simply, I'm still here. It's tw- and that was in 2020. Tua says it's 2022, and I'm still here. To me, that's all noise at this point. It's exactly right. And the way, reason this came up was apparently they were scrimmaging, and Tom Brady and Tua were just sitting over there talking, and they asked Tua, what are you talking about? He goes, ah, golf, hanging out, you know, that kind of thing. 23 years in the league with Brady, we just wanted to talk. See, what do they say? 75% of life is just showing up, of success in life is just showing up. So you got all this chatter, right? You got, they want Tom Brady, blah, 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 blah. Tua just kept showing up. So I'm rooting for Tua. It's like, well, you know, Tua, they wanted Tom Brady over you. Okay. Well, you know, your wife, my wife, probably at some point in her life wanted somebody else over me. I remember when he got hired to West Virginia. People say, well, you were the third choice. I can't remember who the second was, but Bob Huggins was the first. I go, yeah, I don't know, but I'm the coach. Wasn't long, but I was eight days, but hey, I was a coach. You know, it always comes down to that. Well, you know, Tua. And you know that they're going to be saying things all year long. Tom Brady, you know, that kind of thing to Tua. But I'll tell you this, Tua's exactly right. He ain't wrong, people. Hey, that was 2020. What is this? 2022? It's all noise. It's all noise. Let's go. Let's go. Man, he could not be more right. And I got to tell you, I appreciated seeing that from that kid. I did. You know, so many times we get our feelings hurt. Basketball dudes, and I'm going to get to KD here in a minute. Basketball dudes get their feelings hurt. Hell, now football players' feelings are hurt. Roquan Smith, you don't appreciate me with the Bears. Okay. Tua's like, hey, man. That was 2022. I'm sorry, that was 2020. This 2022. Well, I care about 2020. I'm in training camp. I just got the, one of the best weapons, if not the best weapons in the NFL. I got a new coach. I got a new coaching staff I got to get with. What the hell do I care about 2020? Great answer. And I'm still here. George Costanza just keeps showing up after you've been fired. Hell, they may forget they fired you. You know, did you ever notice this? Everything goes back to Seinfeld. Opposite day, Seinfeld. I'm telling you, the whole world goes back to Seinfeld. It does. Just show up. Good for Tua. Speaking of showing up, I got to tell you, I don't know who I'm more tired of. Kevin Durant. Or the NBA media. The NBA media and Kevin Durant, there's a new story every freaking day. There's a new story. I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to get an ultimatum. I want my coach. Well, all right. So now apparently Kevin Durant, because I guess we're interested in this. um, Kevin Durant now wants to go to either, this is a shock to me, either 
the Philadelphia 76ers or the Boston Celtics. Now, it would be truly Philadelphia 76er-like to bring in Kevin Durant. I just feels like it's Kevin Durant to, to 76 It just feels like it. I'm telling you right now, if I'm the Nets, he ain't going to either of those. <clears throat> Apparently, in London, when Kevin Durant was in London and made his little ultimatum to ownership of the Brooklyn Nets, he was with James Harden. I'm telling you what I'm doing. I've told you what I'm doing. You think I'm giving Kevin Durant from the Brooklyn Nets to the Boston Celtics or the Philadelphia 76ers, two teams in my division, you think I'm doing that just because he's a little crabby? Not a chance in holy hell. Well, you know, if you screw Kevin Durant, other free agents won't want to come there. Well, good. Then maybe, just maybe, Brooklyn will figure out that this whole wacky free agent thing isn't for us. And maybe they'll start building their program with a culture of accountability. And if, if they do that, maybe they will win. See, I think this. I think the Boston Celtics, if they get Kevin Durant, saves Kevin Durant's career. I think it saves his image. I think it saves his career. Now, you got to understand one thing about image. There are two kind of images. The number one, first image is guys like me. Guys like me that, you know, I guess we're a little old school and, you know, we probably, I would argue, from about 30 years old and up. If you've coached, if you've played, you're like, dude, you signed a contract. You're in Brooklyn. You brought your buddies with you. Why don't you just play and see what happens with Kyrie and Ben Simmons and a really good team? Well, we don't get along. Well, tough. Learn to get along. Then there's the other guy that say, hey, look, the NBA is made on superstars, and superstars should be able to go wherever they want. I don't get that kind of thinking. I honestly don't. But, of course, look at me. I'm old. I got a gray beard. And I'm sitting there thinking about, you know what? There's a lot of fans in Brooklyn that got all excited and bought season tickets because we're going to have Kyrie, we're going to have Harden, and we're going to have Durant for years, right? That's what we're going to have. And there's a lot of sponsors that jumped on board. And there's a lot of people buying suites that jumped on board. And there's a lot of people buying tickets at a really high price in the NBA, particularly in Brooklyn, that jumped on board. And now all of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 we don't have this? See, that's who I think about. I don't think about his bag. Everybody thinks about the bag. Oh, man, you got to get yours when you can. I get that. I do. Don't get me wrong. But I, you get yours, and you can still play in Brooklyn. You're getting yours to the tune of $40 million. That's a pretty nice-sized bag. Oh, what a bag Dad had. That's a bag. So the truth of the matter is, I don't know. If I'm Brooklyn, oh, you want to go to Boston? You want to go to Philly? Hey, great. Hey, I mean, you're... You met us in London, just get on a plane and go to Boston and Philly. But when the season starts, you're going to be here. I, I swear to God, that isn't kind of what I would do. It wouldn't even give me a moment's pause if I was an owner. Now, it's easy to say, sitting here telling you, but it, it wouldn't give me a moment. Nobody's getting screwed in this. If you screw somebody, then you feel bad. Like if somehow, some way. I'm the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, and I'm screwing Kevin Durant. 
All right, then I got to feel some kind of way, right? But I don't feel no kind of way. Not even sorta. Dude's going to make $40 million. Dude's playing in the biggest television market in the world. You crazy? Not a chance. Not, an, not even sorta kind of a chance am I feeling bad. I'm like, Kevin, I hear you, baby. I hear you. I respect you. Great meeting. And then I would say nothing. That's it. And away we would go. And he would be on the Brooklyn Nets. And Kyrie would be on the Brooklyn Nets. Ben Simmons would be on the Brooklyn Nets. And I would tell the fellas, hey, we're going to have a great year. And start getting along. Start being men. But I'm not getting rid of Kevin Durant today, tomorrow, the next day. Not a chance. Uh, This news I don't like. This news I hate. Frank Gore charged with assault, dragging a naked woman by the hair across a hotel room or floor uh, in Atlantic City. Frank Gore is a legend in the NFL. I mean, he may not be a legend in terms of fans knowing, and but in the NFL, Frank Gore being a great teammate, being a hard worker, being a guy that everybody wanted on their team, that's who he is in the NFL. It's not who he was the other night, and he's going to have to face charges coming up in October. Uh, violently dragged a woman. They went to the hotel room, looked, she didn't have any visible thing, any visible injuries. Then they started investigating, decided that he's going to be charged with assault, and he's going to have to appear in court in October. I had one time, a one-time meeting with Frank Gore. I've told this story a lot on my show. I was doing a show from Colts camp, and it was at the Colts facility. So I'm doing the show here, and over there was the Colts practice facility. Practice was over. Uh, Everybody went into the Colts' offices, locker rooms, meeting rooms. And I'm kind of sitting out there by myself with a producer doing the show. And I'm doing the show, and all of a sudden, here comes Frank Gore. Just came down, sat. Hey, Frank, you want to go on the air? I think he went on the air, but I can't remember. When I went to commercial, Frank, he was awesome. He's like, yeah, it's lunchtime. I don't feel like sitting in there. I just want to sit out here. Saw you were doing a show. Just thought I'd come see what's going on. I really liked Frank Gore. I did. And a bigger issue is, man, oh, man, it feels like every day somebody from the freaking NFL is getting arrested. It feels like every day somebody that is either a current or former player is being charged with something. Now, look, you, you, you can't blame everything on CTE. or that, That's the first thing I heard. Boy, I wonder if Frank has CTE. Look, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I, I have none. Zero, zip, nada. I have no clue. But I do know that when I saw this, I was sad for a variety of reasons. Assaulting a woman, I, what the hell? I always said this. Like, what do you do after? Like, what do you do? I, I talk to kids about this uh, sometimes. Like, hey, man, you get mad at your girlfriend. You know, you break a phone, you throw something, you, you touch. What, what, what do you do then? What, what do you do? And I've always said, imagine how bad you'd feel after. 
right? And there's nothing you could do to make it go away. There's, there's nothing you could do, nothing you could say. It's, it is what it is. So, man, I hated to see this. Frank Gore's boxing, I don't know if his boxing career is going to go on. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? But I saw that, and I couldn't believe I, I, Look, I, I'm beyond the point where I say, and I was just going to say, I can't believe this happened. Of course we can all believe that things happen. We've seen it our whole lives, right? I mean, nothing really shocks you. But the truth of the matter is, is this made me sad. This did, because my memory of Frank Gore is this dude is a really, really good dude. And that memory no longer exists because you just don't ever touch women. I used to tell my players this. This is a good lesson for some of you. I used to tell my players, if a girlfriend, a wife, whatever, is yelling and screaming at you, and you can tell, so even if you put your hands in your pockets, go into the bathroom and lock the door. I had a very famous player at Indiana uh, tell me that not only did he do that, he was so happy that he got that advice because he really didn't know what to do. You don't know what to do when these things come up. And unfortunately for him, he got his tires slashed by the young lady. So it didn't work out great for him, you know what I mean? But it beats the living heck out of the police knocking on your door wondering why you did something to your girlfriend. All right, we're going to be right back. It's Big Ten week. I gave you my Big Ten preview. Bobby Carpenter actually thinks that Michigan could be undefeated when they go in to Ohio State at the end of the year. I got to get Bobby's take on that. I got to get Bobby's take on Wisconsin. I just got to get Bobby's take. I need a take from Bobby Carpenter. Jason Allen Hammer coming up. You know he's going to be on fire about all that's going on with New York and Texas and Trump's raid. We'll get into that at 1030. We got the damn awards. Don't at me. And we got some doozies. But we also got a great one from Nick Foles. I mean a great one. You want to hear Nick Foles. If you're a coach or you're any type of player, uh, you want to hear from Nick Foles. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. He's a very busy man. Bobby Carpenter owns everything in Columbus. Not only that, but he's got Carp's Corner, which he just puts out great content every day. Um, but yesterday, I got to go. Yesterday, you're sitting there right now in Ohio State's practice facility. Did I see this right? Did I see the Buzz Lightyear of Ohio State say that he thinks Michigan's going to be undefeated when they come into the horseshoe? Yeah, I mean, if you look at their, their schedule, Dan, that's kind of what I based it off of. I saw it come out, they're ranked six. It's like, ah, that seems a little bit high. Then I look at their non-conference schedule. You know, it kind of crescendos with SMU, and this is an SMU without Sonny Dykes now. So that's their big game. If you look at their, their crossover games in the Big Ten, they have Wisconsin. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, that would be a chance for them to lose, but they have Michigan State and Penn State at home. And so you start scrolling through it and say, okay, maybe they have one loss, possibly two, but I look at this to be an undefeated or potentially one-loss team going into Columbus. So I thought six was a little high for them, but I don't know who I'd truly put ahead of them. And after, you know, 12 weeks of football, I can't imagine having more than one loss. Yeah, you know, that, I always talk about schedule. 
right? I mean, who you play, when you play them, all that kind of stuff. People say, well, they're going to go undefeated. And then, what, did you look at their schedule? You know what I mean? And that, to me, when I look at that, I, I'm totally with you. Like, at Iowa, that's not easy. But their schedule sets up beautifully. And it's the same thing I said about Purdue. Purdue plays in the West. They don't have to play Ohio State. They don't have to play Michigan. They don't have to play Michigan State this year. So I look at the West, and it's the same thing you're saying about Michigan. Man, the schedule sets up. Absolutely. And Purdue's another team with Aiden O'Connell coming back. I think that they're a little bit underrated. Brahms done a good job. You look at last year, they started to really pick up some steam, I think, at the end of the season. And, yeah, when you avoid three of the big four from the East in your crossover matchups, Dan, like any coach will tell you, like, you know what, it's good to play teams, test yourself, you want to find out who you are. But the reality is in college football, yeah, you want to make sure you have enough big games, but you also don't want to be limping to the finish line at six and six. So if you can play two or three big games as opposed to five or six, win the ones you need to, and then all of a sudden it sets you up for success and gets your team confidence. And a lot of that too is, you know, where's your schedule weighted at? Where is it loaded? And if you have some easy games early and maybe one tough one here in like the first five or six, it allows your team to grow, build confidence. And as you know, anybody who's coached or played, half of it is, you know, feeling good about yourself, knowing what you can do, finding out about yourself. And you may play better than what you actually are if you've been able to stack some wins. Bobby, uh, Indiana plays Illinois opening day. Purdue plays Penn State. Uh, A few years ago, you and I were on opposite sidelines. Indiana game against uh, Ohio State doing a deal at ESPN. What do you think about some teams opening up their Big Ten season week one? Yeah, I mean, you even have uh, Northwestern across the pond as well. It's going to be opening up in uh, zero week over in Dublin Island. So I I like that. I don't necessarily want to see Ohio State, Michigan week one. I don't know if you need your rivalry games week one, but I think it's good if you get, you know, something in there that gets folks interested, gets them a little bit excited. And I like the fact that you're doing that, especially if you maybe don't have that big non-conference game. So I think it kind of whets the beak of the fan. And so I'm looking at this right now with my fan hat on saying it's great as a coach, probably wouldn't necessarily love it because you want to get those non-conference games out of the way, kind of build who you are and find out a little bit about your team. But, you know, from a fan's perspective, I'm all about giving some of those conference games a stab early in the season. Bobby, what do you think about the new, uh, the announcement that ESPN pretty much, well, going to be out, assuming the the reports are true, you know, after, what, 40-some years of covering uh, the Big Ten ESPN slash ABC. What do you think about the new deal going on with the Big Ten conference? Uh, well, I think it's, number one, it's going to be great for the Big Ten on a monetary basis. You start talking about an excess of $1.5 billion is what I'm hearing. You know, you have 16 teams. All of a sudden, that's over $100 million per school if you can get over one6 You have Fox in there who's going to be the primary rights holder. Then you've got, you know, CBS with a 3.30 game, NBC once a night game. So you're on three of the four biggest networks stacked throughout the day. So I do think it's going to give you a lot of visibility, going to give you a lot of coverage. So you're probably going to throw some stuff on Peacock, which – you know, it's a streaming service. It's going to cost money. Not a lot of people are super pumped. I think Apple Plus might be involved with some of the Friday night stuff. But I look at this for the Big Ten. Like, okay, ESPN, they've chosen the SEC. They chose the ACC. They still hold the, all the studio shows. They still hold all the, you know, the, the announcement shows. And so that will probably hurt the narrative a little bit there with the Big Ten. But I look at this now with kind of where we're at. I think everybody acknowledges the SEC and the Big Ten are the two biggest conferences, are the two biggest powers. 
they're monetarily going to set themselves up. And when they expand the playoff, both of those conferences are going to get at least probably three teams in every year. And with that, I think that that's going to be just fine. What do you think? When do you think that the earliest the, the playoffs could be or will be expanded? Well, I think 2025 is the deadline when they renegotiate that. And I think part of that it will be too. I don't think it will be solely with one network. I look at it as more of an NFL model where you're probably going to see Fox be involved, maybe NBC, maybe a CBS, but there's going to be so many games because they'll probably expand to at least 12. Maybe they go to 16. I know a lot of people don't like that, but at least 12. So with that, you're adding you know, more rounds of games, other opportunities. And I, so I think that'll be that 2025, maybe 2026 when they get that thing worked out. And ultimately you're going to see that expand with that, probably a new governing body over football. And that's when you'll see a lot of those changes. I didn't even ask you about Ohio State. Obviously, every year, a lot goes away. A lot comes in. What, what's your take on the Buckeyes? How good? National champion good? I mean, they're ranked second in the coaches' poll. I think they'll be ranked, you know, first or second in the AP poll. I mean, it's them, Bama, and Georgia. And people are kind of trying to figure out who that fourth team is. A lot of it's going to, you know, look at Ohio State this year. How good is their defense? And, you know, I'm heading out to practice here in a little bit. I've been watching a lot of it. Their defense is, you know, miles ahead of where they were last year. Guys are more experienced. Jim Knowles has a really good system in place. They obviously have the offense. I'm watching the number of receivers they have that I think are first or second round guys. And you start looking at four or five guys that are really, really talented. So they have the offensive capability in their offensive line. You know, can they, they do a good job run, running the ball and short yardage? Can they go plow ahead for those yards when they really need to and teams know they're going to? Then the other piece is, is, can the defense hold up? And what I've seen now, I think you're going to see a much improved Ohio State defense than you saw last year in a team that was getting gashed by Oregon and struggling in the middle of the season and then obviously got beat up by Michigan at the end of the year and you know, beat up largely in the first half against Utah before finally kind of turning it around. Jim Knowles makes that big a difference. Well, I think he, he does do a good job. His scheme is very unique. Like He's not from the saving tree you know, or all these different coaching trees that we have. He's kind of done it his own way. I really like the structure of what he does, how he does it. It's very, very complicated. So guys have to be locked in. They have to know what they're doing. They have to be ready to go with it. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of study and communication that need to happen. But also, too, Dan, as you know, guys, as they age, they just get better just due to experience and physical maturation. We had a lot of guys last year who didn't play who didn't have a spring ball, didn't play the year before because of a COVID year. And so they're just kind of tossed out there. So all of a sudden you get 12 games under your belt, good or bad. You've seen a lot of things. You've been through the fires. Now you go through a spring ball, new system installation, you get a summer of good work in and just watching, especially some of the second level players, the linebackers and the young safeties, man, they're triggering. They look aggressive and it appears that they're not thinking anymore. There's that hesitation that was there last year that is eliminated. Hey, Bobby, I talked about this yesterday. I don't know if you've talked about it, but Alabama calls it their runner-up finish on participation trophy and puts it in their cafeteria, and everybody's like, yeah, that's a failure. Maybe Ohio State could do that, and it would be real. Maybe, I don't know if anybody else, but damn, Bobby, getting to the national championship game, that ain't bad, No. It's not, but when your expectation is winning that national championship, I think that's kind of, Dan, where it pivots. And life's all about expectations, man. You know, if you grew up in, you know, a very 
you know, modest beginnings and you, you know, go to college, get a job and just have the white picket fence life. You know what? That's good enough. A lot of schools, it's good enough to win the conference to get to the CFP. But when you're used to being at the top and you're used to winning and beating your chest all the time, getting to the CFP isn't it. Getting to a national championship game isn't it. And I, when I heard about that, I, I love the story. But Ohio State got beat up by Bama in 2019. I couldn't tell you where that trophy is. They're not prominently displaying an appearance in it. Now, it's noted on, like, the banners of what's happened and this and that. But you're not putting up a participation trophy for just getting there and then getting beat by, you know, 20-some-odd points. Like that's, that's not the expectation. The expectation is to get there, Dan, and then win it and hoist that thing at the end of the day. Bobby, I always say this. When I played at Indiana, I mean, we won a Big Ten. We went, got to the Elite Eight. I don't get to sit at the big boy table. The big boy table is for the national champions, man. That's the big boy table. You know, now it's a little different in Indiana. But with Coach Knight, man, hey, it was like, you win national championship? No. Oh, go sit over there. You're, you're, you know, go. Just go sit. You know what I mean? I like that. I love that. It's important. We've got, and speaking of that, like we have our O2 reunion for our national championship team in Ohio State. We're going to be honored at the Notre Dame game you know, between the first and second quarter. That was my freshman year, and I've got a lot of guys who I've played with since. We've had a lot of success. And I start thinking, like, like, man, I would love to have been a part of that. You know, they came in a year later, two years later. Good players, James Laurinaitis, Malcolm Jacobs, guys who played a long time in the NFL. You know, and it's like, man, they had some really good teams. They got to the game, got there a couple times, but could never convert it. And it's just, it's a different feeling, man. And I, being a freshman on it, I took it for granted at the time. The next three years, I slowly learned how difficult it was. Just like my dad, I wondered, like, did you play 10 years in the NFL? How did you never win a Super Bowl? Like, you made it to two AFC championship games. You made the playoffs like seven of your 10 years. And then you get to the playoffs, you realize, holy smokes, it's hard to win. And you have one misstep, one false move, and then it's done. And you got to restart the whole season in a single elimination tournament. So you ha truly have an appreciation for what it is. And like you said, Dan, it, it's the big boys table, man. It connects you in a way that few things in life do. That's exactly right. Hey, uh, before I let you go, Notre Dame, man, in the horseshoe to open it up. Somebody told me, I don't know whether it's true or not. I had a friend of mine wanted to go, and he said, dude, the, the tickets are out of their mind. This is going to be, you know, I'll go, go non-Michigan. Is this the biggest non-Michigan game in the horseshoe? I would say absolutely. And I, you look back, I mean, Texas came to town. USC has been to town. They've had some big games in the past. But I still think the biggest game was probably – I think it was 95 when Michigan came to town or Notre Dame came to town the first time. Regis Philbin's on the sideline because you know, Ohio State isn't like Michigan or Michigan State or Purdue. They don't play Notre Dame very often. I mean, outside of bowl games, they played them like a handful of times in the last 75 years. So this is huge. The fact that Marcus Freeman is the coach, former Buckeye, Laronitis is on his staff. They're ranked fifth, Ohio State second, national championship team getting honored. I mean, to get in the stadium, Dan, I think the cheapest seat upstairs sea deck is getting you probably it's 500 bucks i mean that's that's where we're at right now yeah i mean see you mentioned this earlier you said as a fan you like you know a big 10 matchup i love it like i think i think purdue penn state's going to be a fun night purdue fan but this game what can you take like you take you mentioned you know the coach marcus freeman he coached one game it was a bowl game. A lot of guys didn't play. Um, is Ohio State at a little bit of a disadvantage in terms of scouting because of the history? 
you know, of Ryan Day. Maybe Marcus Freeman can see more than, than Ryan Day can see out of Marcus Freeman. Does that matter? I think there is an element of scouting and preparation where you obviously want to have all those details. But coaches change all the time. So, you know, you sit there, you look at the coordinators, what have they done in the past? And you have to remember this too, Dan. Almost the entire staff remained with Marcus Freeman. So, you know, zebras aren't going to become cheetahs. You know, the, the stripes don't turn to spots. So they're going to kind of be what they are. You find the talent. Having it the opening weekend is tough because you have literally no film with how they're going to operate and deploy players, except based upon the previous year. And so you try to figure that a little bit out. But the coaches are good. They dive into it. You kind of chase some ghosts. You figure out what's real, what's not. And after two series, man, you've got the game plan. You kind of know what teams are going to do and what they're going to be about. And then can you pivot from there and find a way to take advantage of it? Hey, last thing before I let you go. Um, East-West, who do you have in the Big Ten championship game as your preseason pick? And I do want to ask you one more question. Okay, I'm going to give you a highest state. And in the West, I like Purdue as a dark horse. I really like Minnesota with Tanner Morgan coming back in like his 18th year. They got Muhammad Ibrahim coming back as well, uh, running back of tearing his Achilles. But Achilles, but Wisconsin seemed to get it going last year in the running game. Their offensive line improved. Their defense is great. If Graham Mertz can be two-thirds of what we expected him to be, just not turn the football over, manage games, do a good job, then it's going to be Wisconsin. So – I'm going to be boring and go with probably the most likely matchup that everybody's seen the most times. Hey, Bobby, last thing. You did say, I, I, was, I was watching uh, Carp's Corner, and you, I said this the other day, and you, you said it. Uh, you're not mad at preseason polls, right? You're not mad at, at, at having, you know, the AP and all these preseason things come out? Yeah, people get upset about it. I mean, Listen, the networks want it because that's what gives us interest in the game. I mean, Notre Dame and Ohio State, two very big brands. But when you put those numbers beside them, that's what anchors in your mind, like how good those teams are. People are telling us that these teams are worth our time watching, like Cincinnati and Arkansas, two teams ranked in the 20s. Hey, that's a game that I'm going to tune in and I'm going to watch because it's two ranked schools. So you may not like it. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of it in the world but it's going to happen. It's good for television. It does anchor people with where they're at as far as how good teams are relative because it's a relative sport. You have to place someone else. It's not based on times. And so, yeah, there's a disadvantage, but they're here to stay, Dan. We're never going to get rid of them. So, you know, people can be angry about it or you can just embrace it and understand it. I totally agree, man. You see that number. Hey, look, number three is coming into our place. Number two, I I love it. Bobby, I know you got to go. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes today. Great stuff. My pleasure, Dan. Thank you. All right. That's Bobby Carpenter live from Ohio State's practice facility. Uh, Carp's Corner is terrific. Go check it out out here on the Outkick Network or go to at bcarp3. Look, I've said this before and I'll say this again. Um, I like preseason polls. And what Bobby just said, you take Cincinnati and you take Arkansas, both are in the top 20, 25, and if they're playing, we like it. Last year, Cincinnati came in to Indiana. They had a great crowd. Now, normally, if Cincinnati comes in and there's no hype to them or they're just Cincinnati and early in the season, you know, you find out they're a good team and then they get ranked by the end of the season, that's one thing. But Cincinnati came in with a ranking, with a high expectation. And I got to tell you, Memorial Stadium in Bloomington had a fantastic, fantastic crowd, particularly for them. I'm not saying it's a fantastic crowd relative to Ohio State and Michigan, don't get me wrong. But for an Indiana 
basically opening game, non-conference game, that was a big-time crowd. So I, I know people don't like him. I know. But I think it's just easy. I do. I think it's just, like, easy to say, I don't like preseason polls. How does anybody know? Well, there are ways you know. I mean, you know by based on last year who's coming back, who's gone. Now, do some teams get ranked because of their name? Sure, and Bobby talked about that. You know, he looked at Michigan and said, wait a second, sixth? You crazy? That's way too early. Uh, Hi, but then you look at their deal. Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn. They're not even going to be tested. Maybe Colorado State for a minute. So that's the opening three. Maryland, they'll crush Maryland. Tough one. Tough one at at Iowa. That's a litmus test for Iowa. Then at Indiana. If Indiana's any, I'll tell you this, Indiana does play Michigan pretty well, but we don't even know who the quarterback is yet at Indiana. Penn State at home, Michigan State at home, at Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois at home, and then Ohio State. And if you're going to go through all of this and you're going to say to me, okay, right now, will, other than Ohio State, will Michigan be favored in every game? And my answer is, hell yeah. Double digits. Double digits against Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn. Double digits against Maryland. Not double digits against Iowa. Probably double digits against Indiana. Not double digits against Penn State, Michigan State. Double digits against Rutgers. Maybe maybe not double digits against Nebraska. I think Nebraska is going to be better. Uh, double digits against Illinois. And then probably not favored. So it's fascinating, right? I mean, it's an interesting deal. It is a very, very interesting deal. Did you know, I'm going to go through something with you. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that the highest grossing game in baseball for networks happens tonight? I think it's tonight. The Field of Dream game is tonight. It's Cincinnati taking on the Cubs. I'm going to listen to this. is from Joe Pompliano, who covers this stuff. The Field of Dreams game. Listen to this. Fox is getting $250,000 for 30-second ads during the game. The matchup is going to bring in one game. $8 million. One game in ad sales, baseball. Y'all tell me baseball's dead. And all I see is big money numbers in baseball, whether it's contracts, whatever. That makes it, according to Joe, the highest revenue generating baseball game in Fox history. You know what it beat out? Last year's Field of Dreams game. That's what it beat out. How about that? That's unbelievable. Tickets aren't cheap either. Let me go this route. I remember I asked Benetti last year, hey, give me a ticket to Field of Dreams game. He goes, uh, no, can't do it. All right. The least expensive seat on SeatGeek this morning is going for $550. The most expensive seat, $1,500. Stadium holds $8,000. That's two times the population of Dyersville, Iowa, where the game is being held. Wow. 
How about this? There's no game next year. Frank Thomas bought a controlling stake in the field and is building a complex. There'll be nine to 10 fields, team dorms, hotel, 100,000 square foot field house, concert venue, and more completed by 2025. Is that good? Is that good? I don't know. I mean, if you're going to, then it becomes just like everything else, doesn't it? Doesn't the field of dreams then become like every other place? Hell, I'm going over here today to Grand Park. Grand Park is where the Colts have practice. You know what's at Grand Park? 50 fields, a big field house, soccer fields, the Indy 11 practices there. The Colts practice. I mean, isn't it? I mean, no. Oh, man. Field of Dreams, you're going to have a big complex now. Maybe it's the place. I got to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, I think that's bad business. I don't know where Dyersville is. I don't like it. The reason, like, you're telling me, so now, maybe this, maybe I'm just wrong. So now people are going to travel from, let's just say, Indianapolis on their way to wherever, and they're going to stop at Field of Dreams because it's now a complex, I think it hurts business. I would advise against it. I would. See, to me, Field of Dreams is what you saw in the movie. Now, I understand you got to put 8,000 seats in there. I understand you got to modernize it. And oh, by the way, there is talk tonight that Harry Carey, the legendary voice of the Cubs, is going to be there in a hologram. That's the word. Like, Harry Carey is going to be singing. I don't know if he's singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. I don't know if they sold that. I don't know nothing. But the word on the street is, you better watch Fox tonight because Harry Carey, Take me out to the ball game. Legendary Cubs announcer will be there in a hologram. We live in weird times, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. What if your neighbors started making holograms and sending people over to your house? <laughs> I don't know, but it's crazy. That whole thing is crazy, but you're going to see it tonight. By the way, by the way, regardless of what you think, regardless of the live tour, regardless of whatever the deal is that you think about the game of golf, actually... These next four weeks, three weeks, whatever the hell it is, are really fun in golf. It's the FedEx Cup Championship. Now, I thought it was a gimmick, and it probably is a gimmick, right? All right, yeah, okay. And you got all these negative things. You know, Cam Smith is leaving. Cameron Young may be leaving. I mean, dudes are leaving. But today, 124 guys teed up. It used to be 125, and then uh, uh, somebody dropped out. But... 124 guys tee it up. Basically, there are 70 spots. The live guys cannot be there. A United States District Court judge ruled that the live guys, Taylor Cooch, Matt Jones, Hudson Stafford, cannot be in the playoffs because they are currently suspended from the PGA Tour from going, for going to the live tour. That's what a judge said, and that's the deal. Top 25 play, 125 players... All right. The field's going to be trimmed to the top 65 in ties after 36 holes. Top 70 on a points list after the final round will advance to the second leg next week in Delaware. It's kind of fun. It is. It's kind of fun. 
So if you get a chance, our friend Ryan Burr will be on the broadcast uh, with ESPN+. Plus. kind of fun. All the bad news in golf, that's great. All the bad news in sports, that's great. All the bad news, whatever, play. And when you get playing and you get a chance to sit down and watch, it is glorious. All right, when we come back, I got some great stuff here. No, I'm being serious. We got the damn awards, and sometimes the damn awards are a little bit goofy. But I got you were not going to believe what Sean McVay did under a few shots of tequila. He did something glorious. Um, arrest Trump! Arrest Trump! The person yelling arrest Trump gets asked, what did he do? You'll see the answer. Smartest thing I heard all week came from Colts backup, Nick Folds. Uh, we had a great teammate. Not the kid, and he is the great teammate. Best, but that's been, that's been played a lot. The, the uh, Little League kid hugging the pitcher. I think that's freaking awesome. But I got an NFL Best Teammate Award, and many, many more of these are coming, baby. Many more of what has happened are coming. You're going to like this next segment. Stay here. Tell your friends. Retweet us. Let's get this going, ladies and gentlemen. We will be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, welcome back. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, for the Don't At Me Awards, a.k.a. the Damn Awards. Now, who hasn't been in Cabo, ran into Matthew Stafford, had a few tequilas, and decided to call their boss? We've all done this. We've all done this. That's how business is done. Let me give you a story about this guy, Sean McVay. And it's an awesome story. So there is a profile on ESPN about Sean McVay. And it talks about, you know, what happened. How did he get to be Sean McVay? How did they get Stafford? How did they build this team? What's Sean McVay all about? It's pretty good. Sean McVay was on vacation in Cabo. He ran into, what are you going to do? He met with Matthew Stafford. So Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay are hanging out. They're chilling. They're in Cabo. And McVay admits he's a couple tequilas in. When in Cabo, baby. Who hasn't done something that was later deemed stupid after a couple tequilas? Everybody has. Hell, I might tonight. All right. But McVay did something that could have been construed as stupid, except it was brilliant. He calls up his bosses. He calls up his bosses, gets on the phone, calls up his bosses and says this. Here's the effing deal. McVay says, we can sit around here and exist. Be okay winning nine to 11 games, losing in the effing divisional round and feel like, okay, everything's okay. We can do that. Or we can let our MFN hang out. Love that. Hey, boss, we can be okay. We can be mediocre. We can be fine. Or we can let our MFN hang out and trade for this effing quarterback, talking about Matthew Stafford, and give ourselves a chance to go win an effing championship. Are you ready, he's telling his bosses, to effing do this or what? Yeah, that is how business is done. That is how you go about winning. 
bold, big. Let them hang, baby. Let them hang out. Now, I don't highly recommend doing this often. Nobody really recommends telling your bosses MFing and all that stuff. Who? No, 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 no. You really don't want to do that all the time, do you? I mean, I don't think so. But when you feel strongly about something, advocating for something is great. Hey, we can be comfortable here. The hell? We went five, five, nine, 10, 11 games. Or we can let our hang out. Oh, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't like it. I love it. I think that's one of the best things that I have ever heard. It is. I think it is 1,000% the way business is done. All right? I got another one for you. You ready? This is called Idiots Be Idiots. I used to say on uh, Twitter when people hated on me, haters be hating, baby. Idiots be idiots. Let's see from this clown right here. Let's play the video, fellers. Is this unprecedented to arrest a former president for not well, turning in documents? I a former president that had committed this many provable criminal acts. But what are the provable criminal acts, I guess? <sighs> provable criminal acts. Well, I'm just, I, I, I'm done talking. Is this unprecedented? Can we play that again? Just to give everybody a nice little feel about what this clown is doing. See, this is the majority of folks that are yelling, screaming about Donald Trump. Is this unprecedented to arrest a former president for not well, turning in documents? A former president that had committed this many provable criminal acts. But what are the provable criminal acts, I guess? <sighs> provable criminal acts. Well, I'm just, I, I, I'm done talking. Unless you're me or other talk show hosts and, or a singer or it's being done talking is probably a good move, right? I mean, he should have led with, I'm done talking. Or I'm not talking. This is what happens. This, this is why I'm universally hated around here in Indy by other media, because I pay attention. And when somebody writes something, I say, well, that's just not true. Or that is true. I mean, sometimes it's true. But I look and I go, all right, well, why? I'm a big why guy. What happened there? What, what do you mean? So all this guy did after he set up this dramatic Hey, can we play that one more time? Look at the dramatic arrest Trump sign right in front of Trump Tower. He was mean in business, this guy. Yeah, he was. Can we play it one more time? This dude meant business with this banner. He wasn't having it. Is this no unprecedented more. to arrest a former president for not Look at that big turning into arrest Trump president that right there had committed this many we'll show you. criminal acts? But what are the provable criminal acts, I guess? Provable criminal acts. Well, I'm just, I, I, I'm done talking. What are the provable criminal acts 
I'm done talking. This from a guy, I mean, you know how much like that sign probably cost? That sign cost, hey, we're gonna get, we're gonna get this right out in front. See, if you yell and scream really loud, then guess what? People don't usually ask those kind of questions. This is the only thing that I ask. Hey, look, I've said before, I'll say again, if Donald Trump or anybody, any of those guys did something illegal, put them in jail. If you've got provable acts, do your duty. No one's above the law, all that kind of stuff, right? Isn't that what we always say? So what is it? Ah, it's amazing. You know how many guys like this there are and gals out there like this that are yelling and screaming? And maybe there are. Like, if you, but, but we don't know. This media is telling you this. That media is telling you this. This idiot's yelling and screaming. I guarantee you there's people on the YouTube chat saying, well, this is one of the provable acts. And the guy doesn't know. I, I'll be honest. I paid attention to this over the last few years. I don't know. I mean, I can know what I read, but I, I know this. And you can get mad at me all you'd like. But every single story I've ever been involved with that is a national story has always, always been full of crap. Not the total story but most of it in there. So when I see something like, uh, I'm sure my guy's on the YouTube channel, well, this is what he did. Really? Why? Why'd he do it? Or when somebody says, you know, Republicans didn't vote for this bill. Can you believe it? My question is simple. What else is in the bill? Democrats didn't vote for this bill. My question is simple. What else was in the bill? Because the bill seems reasonable. We're not reasonable. We want to yell and scream, act like an idiot like this guy. That's unbelievable. Uh, on the other side of this, Nick Foles, uh, quarterback of the Philadelphia 76ers, is now with the Colts. And people are excited because Nick Foles played for Frank Reich, and Frank Reich loves Nick Foles, and Nick Foles is a terrific backup. I mean, you've got, you know, we've got Matt Ryan here who's older. We've got a left tackle that is unproven, so you don't know if someone's going to get hurt. So Nick Foles is now here in Indy, and Nick Foles met with the media. I think this was yesterday when I was out there because I saw him walking over past me. And this is what Nick Foles had to say about bringing a team together. I think it's really good. We can all do it when things go well. But what happens when things don't go well within a game or within a practice? Like, how do you turn it around instead of saying, like, in your mind, like, oh, here we go again? Because the trick to having a great team or a great culture is being able to stop it and saying, no, let's reset and let's change what's going on right now. And I think anytime you have coaches like that and players, you have an opportunity to overcome adversity, and usually the teams that do that in this league are the most successful. So my wife just came down here. She's bringing me a cup of coffee, and it stinks down here. Right? I mean, it smells like boys. A.K.A. backside gas. She ain't lying. Got my son's laundry over here. But Nick Foles is absolutely right. Nick Foles is saying what every coach says and basically uh, what every, oh, I don't know, what every media person doesn't know. It's easy, easy when things are going well. What's going well? Man, we're rolling. Man, that offense is humming. Man, we're ba 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 Man, everybody gets along when you're winning, but we all know, and this is true in-game, like Nick said. In-game, things go badly. 
I mean, I, I got to tell you, you watch a game, and sometimes even coaching a game, you're like, how the hell did we win that game? Or you won a game, and you forget until you go back and watch the tape. Oh, yeah, he missed a free throw. Or, oh, yeah, that ha-. I'm telling you, you got to have some luck to win a game, but you got to have some perseverance to win a game. Now, the entirety of a season is exactly what Nick Foles is saying. You think, well, let me put it to you this way. College basketball, last undefeated team, 1976. That means you're going to have a loss probably during your season, more than one usually. Last undefeated NFL team, 1972. That means in the NFL you're going to have a loss probably more than just one. So how do you stay together? Can we play that one more time? I thought this was great by Nick Foles. If you're a coach or you're a player, listen to this. This is really good. We can all do it when things go well, but what happens when things don't go well within a game or within a practice? Like, how do you turn it around instead of saying, like, in your mind, like, oh, here we go again? Because the trick to having a great team or a great culture is being able to stop it and say, no, let's reset and let's change what's going on right now. I think anytime you have coaches like that and players, you have an opportunity to overcome adversity. And usually the teams that do that in this league are the most successful. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about adversity in the NFL, certainly injury. I mean, you know, I always say this about the Colts. I always think the Colts are going to be pretty good. And this year I do. I bet them to win the AFC. I just made a bet with Ryan Burr from ESPN. He gave me five to one odds, which is low odds. I say the Colts go to the AFC championship game. But here's what happens with, with the Colts. And this probably happens with your team. All of a sudden on Thursday as a media member, you get a freaking email that says somebody's hurt. And usually it's a good player. And then every time it happens, you know what I say? Damn, you don't want your good players hurt. The walk-on can get hurt, but the good players can't get hurt. Seriously, that's what you say. And Nick Foles understands. So there's that adversity. A bad loss. Hey, man, uh, you go in somewhere. You go to Jacksonville. You lose. What? We're not supposed to do that. You go to London. Next thing you know, Urban makes a great move. Boom, to the middle. Kicker makes a 50-some yard. Boom, you win. That's adversity. Guy's out for a couple games. Somebody steps in and does really well. How do you handle that as a player? There's so Something goes on in your personal life. You know, these guys are human beings, right? They got kids. They got kids, man. They got families. They got brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. Kid, I mean, they got kids. They're, 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 they're human. Something goes wrong there. How do you handle it? I think this is brilliant. I, I will tell you this. I don't know that I'm a Nick Foles fan. I don't know that I was a Nick Foles fan. Before the, I, I saw that, I thought he was fine. I remember sitting behind the bench. Uh, we had se- season tickets, six rows, uh, behind the visitor's bench for years. And, yeah, I like – I mean, it was good, right? It, it, was, it was good. He was fine. I didn't really love him. I didn't see him talk to his teammates. I didn't see him engage much. But, you know, maybe he's not supposed to. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is uh, Nick Foles, with that quote, shows that he is a great addition to your football team, assuming he believes it. We can all say stuff. But I'm looking at Nick Foles, and I'm thinking he believes it. Don't at me, people. I like Nick Foles. All right? The best teammate, or not the best teammate, but the best sportsmanship deal that I saw was in Little League, right, where the kid gets hit in the head, he goes to first base, 
The pitcher is beside himself. Kid walks off first base, gives the pitcher a hug. And it got criticized, and that's the dumbest thing I've ever – how do you criticize that? But anyway, the best teammate award goes to this guy, Taysom Hill. Let's be honest. You come up. You're playing for the Saints. You're the backup quarterback. The coach loves you, right? I mean, the coach, Peyton, loves you. I mean, he gives you a monster contract. You're getting reps. You're playing some quarterback. Everybody wants to be the daggone quarterback. That's why he got the monster contract, because he could play quarterback. Well, guess what? Taysom Hill is now playing at tight end, and at 31 years old, he's embracing it. Things aren't up to me. I'm willing to do what I need to do to help us win football games. I love playing. And so it creates opportunities for me to add value and be on the field and compete. And this is a brand new deal, right? This is a brand new thing for Taysom Hill. He said, I've never done that before. What is it? Three-point stance. Never did that before. We're starting from ground zero. And I'm just building there. Uh, I kind of just do what I want a tight end to do if I was playing quarterback. I've taken that mindset to the tight end position. Yeah, Jason, uh, Jameis Winston, did we lose me? That would be not great. Jameis Winston is the quarterback. Okay, you're the quarterback. But Taysom Hill is a great teammate. Look, I don't know whether the Saints are going to be any good. Me in particular, I'm all in on Jameis Winston. He might be 40-40. He might be the Jose Canseco of quarterbacks. 40 touchdowns, 40 interceptions, let's go. Maybe, maybe not. But what I'm going to tell you is if you have guys like Taysom Hill on your team, son of a biscuit maker, you are in business. All right? Many more are coming, people. Many more are coming. Dockage. What the hell are you talking about? I'm talking about COVID lawsuits. I'm talking about lawsuits that are, I lost my job because of not taking a shot. Not a shot of whiskey in a hazing moment. Not a shot of tequila where you got to drink the worm. No, no, no. Nay, 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 no. No. A shot of COVID vaccine. I don't know if you guys remember this guy, but Nick Rolovich was the coach of Washington State football. Nick Rolovich, I don't know whether he was a great coach. I don't know whether he was a bad coach. I have no idea. But, oh boy, is that Nick Rolovich? Nuh-uh. Is that seriously him? Oh, I love Nick Rolovich. Yeah! If that's Nick Roll, man, he is a sir, baby. We don't mess around. No, we ain't afraid. That we ain't afraid to look like what we look. I'm gonna go for the Nick Rolovich look. Not a gray in there. Long story short, Nick Rolovich got fired. Washington State said, "Hey, look, man, you don't get this vaccine, you're done. D U N, done." Rolovich was done. Rolovich, like, 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 uh, Allison Williams stood up for what he believed in. And he got fired. 
Rolovich, however, isn't taking this sitting down. He, he filed a 20, I'm going to make sure I got this right, $25 million wrongful termination suit. It was filed on his behalf with the state's Office of Risk Management. Such a claim is, wait a second here, such a claim is a prerequisite for file, filing a lawsuit against a state agency. A person must wait 60 days to sue after a tort claim. No lawsuit has been filed. His attorney really didn't talk, although they had said that Rolovich in the past was going to file suit. Rolovich is a Catholic. He did not get a religious exemption from Governor Jay Inslee. He's a state employee. The governor said it is mandatory for state employees to get the vaccine. Rolovich said no. No. They appealed it. Fine. They appealed it. Uh, they appealed it with a 34-page letter to the university. Rolovich was the highest paid public salary in the state of Washington, which is interesting to me, at $3.2 million. I think more of these are coming. I think that you're going to see doctors, nurses. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of people now that it's kind of come out that, hey, look, uh, we're not sure these vaccines work. Hey, look, we're not sure what's going on here with these vaccines. They certainly did not cause uh, or did not prevent you, me, whoever, from getting the uh, getting COVID again, as Joe Biden, our president, said they would. It's going to be really interesting what ends up happening here with COVID. I'm not the biggest lawsuit guy. I've never filed one. But the truth of the matter is I do have a sister who's a lawyer. I do have a brother that's a lawyer. And they're always, they were talking about this the other day. I think many more of these type lawsuits are coming. I think many more state employees, whether they're football coaches or public health people, I don't know. But if they work for states that mandated, and most did, I believe, that you get a vaccine, I bet you, I bet you we're going to see a lot of these. Nick Rolovich, uh, is he the first? He's the first that I know of in, in sports to file something like this. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not one of those that said, hey, look, uh, we've got to sue everybody or I'm, or, or I'm not one of those people that looks for, well, I got to see, let me see who, who's filing a lawsuit. No, I'm not one of those. Uh, I just, uh, I saw this and I felt it to be interesting. Yeah, we're going to see. We're going to see, and we're going to see fairly quickly um, what happens. Uh, that's our damn awards, don't at me awards. But I got to talk about something else. I, I got to tell you, the New York Yankees are reeling. And I got to tell you something else. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to end the week with this kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know, but don't look now. But the San Diego Padres have won two straight games. The San Diego Padres who brought everybody over, had lost a few. It looked like they couldn't get a hit against the L.A. Dodgers when I watched them on Sunday Night Baseball. All of a sudden, have won a couple. Let's see what happens. I said earlier, I ain't going to be mad if the Dodgers, or excuse me, the Padres don't make the playoffs. I'm not going to be mad about it. 
I was talking to Chris Ballard yesterday, the general manager of the Colts, and we were talking about, you know, baseball's interesting. You can redo your team in the middle of the season. You can't really do that in football. You really can't. Like in football, what you do is you try to bring maybe somebody in that helps you a little bit. He mentioned Mike Mitchell, a defensive back, that helped their team. But it isn't an overhaul. I mean, think about your football team. When's the last time your NFL football team brought in a guy that truly went from we're out of the playoffs to in the playoffs? And that's what they're trying to do here in San Diego with the Padres. They're saying, all right, Juan Soto. All right, Josh Bell. Here we go. We're ish. We're around the playoffs. Get us in the playoffs. Once we're in the playoffs, we got all this talent. Once we're in a tournament, we got all this talent. We can go. Baseball's interesting with that. Football, not so much. So I'm going to be talking about this a lot. So when you're on your general manager's backside to go ahead and we got to make a deal at the trade deadline, I asked Chris Ballard, GM of the Colts, in, in your time coaching in the NFL, not GMing, front office, how many guys took you at midseason from out of the playoffs to in the playoffs or from in the playoffs to a champion that you traded for. You know that what his answer was? Zero. None. Zip. Nada. 22 years. Ben was some pretty good organizations. Ben was with Kansas City, helped build that thing. I'm just saying, as you go around and you look at trade deadlines in football, don't have high expectations. As you go around and you look at trade deadline in Major League Baseball, you should have high expectations. They didn't bring Juan Soto to San Diego to lose. They didn't bring Juan Soto to San Diego to win five in a row but not make the playoffs. They brought Juan Soto to San Diego for one reason and one reason only. Josh Hader to San Diego for one reason and one reason only. Make the playoffs, make a run in the playoffs, get our team organized, and next year win the World Series. That's it. I saw the owner of the... uh, San Diego Padres talking about slaying the big bad dragon, i.e. the L.A. Dodgers. Not sure people are expecting that right now. But I will say this, in baseball, that's what ultimately needs to happen. Greatest time ever as a Cub fan. 1984, trade deadline. The Red Baron, Rick Sutcliffe, comes over from Cleveland. They give away a future, I think he's in the Hall of Fame, Joe Carter and Mel Hall. We're like, what are they doing? Mel Hall's great. Joe Carter's great. Guess what? Rick Sutcliffe went 16-1 and in the second half of the season, and the Cubs, for the first time in my lifetime, actually made the playoffs. That's right. Don't expect it in football, but that is the expectation in baseball, particularly with Josh Hader and Juan Soto. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Thursday. Usually this occurs Thursday at 9.30. We had Bobby Carpenter. Coming up, Jason Allen Hammer. It's hammer time. He's getting ready to hammer, hammer some folks on the raid of Trump's place. He's getting ready to hammer uh, Eric Adams. The Why am I yelling? I'm just yelling. Eric Adams, who is, I'm going to talk softly. Eric Adams, who is the mayor, the mayor of New York City. I just got yelling right there. That's not great. Anyway, it's hammer time. Coming up in two minutes. 
We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Uh, you know, we ain't afraid to dance on this show. It's hammer time, baby. Yeah, it is. Live from Indianapolis, the world's greatest afternoon show, 3 to 7, Jason Allen Hammer, host of Hammer and Nigel on WIBC.com. You can go to IBC.com because a lot of you have started saying, hey, you're making sure you have Hammer on. Of course we have Hammer on. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Jason Allen Hammer at Jason Allen Hammer. HT, which is short for Hammer Time, we rated, apparently, Trump Mar-a-Lago. What's going on here? So, listen, everybody is divided politically. Let's not act like they're not. This country is incredibly divided. But the one area where we kind of want something to be neutral is the justice system. You want the justice system to be blind. Because I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, people get in trouble. And when you get in trouble, you hope you're getting a fair shake. That's all people are asking for, is a fair shake. And right now, I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people. It doesn't look like this country from a federal perspective is being, you know, done with a fair shake. So let's look at this. They raid Mar-a-Lago. They go through Donald Trump's house. They go into a safe. They're going through Melania's clothes. They're taking out all types of things. They better have something. Because if they don't have something, Coach, we've got a major situation for... The way that they went into Mar-a-Lago, the way that they did it, guns drawn, they knew he wouldn't be there, but guns drawn, all these agents, all the money it spent doing this, if you're going to do that, then damn it, you better have a reason why. Because if not, there's a lot of people wondering, now wait a minute, how come we haven't looked at Hillary Clinton, who basically was questioned for the same type of stuff, she goes out of her way to bleach the laptops, she takes hammers to it. Okay, we've got that going on. You had the FBI that was given a bogus warrant where they were spying on a private citizen. You've got the Hunter Biden situation, or should I say situations with an S, where not only is he doing shady business dealings for political power, getting the big guy involved, there's also photos with hookers and crack, and it's all right there for you. It's on a laptop. It exists. No matter how much you want it not to exist, we know that it's there. And we can go down more here. You've got the Pelosi's with insider trading. You've got uh, Catholic churches and pro-life centers across this country having Molotov cocktails thrown in there. Supreme Court justices having their houses staked out. One lunatic is now being charged with attempted murder for trying to go after a Supreme Court justice. You've got all of these things out there. But you're telling me that the FBI has to go DEFCON 1 on Mar-a-Lago, all of these agents? I just want it to be fair. If they found that Donald Trump was taking nuclear codes out of the White House and he was selling them on the black market and they've got proof of it, hot damn, go in there, guns blazing and go get them. But if this turns out it's some sort of nickel and dime situation where technically something from the National Archive was brought back to Mar-a-Lago, and it doesn't affect national security. It doesn't affect foreign relations. It's only done to embarrass Donald Trump or make it so that he can't run for the president again. This is complete bullcrap. How do you respond to this? Because you are fair. 
like I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, that's why I like you so much. You're not a lunatic on this side or that side. You're basically common sense. But I'm going to ask you, how do you respond to, well, look, Donald Trump has the search warrant. Just tell us what they're looking for, and you can clear this whole thing up. There's that. Now, maybe his legal team is like, what do we gain from putting that out there? Maybe they don't want certain information out there. That's a good question. I don't know. But both sides can play that game, right? Why doesn't Donald Trump put it out there? Maybe there's a reason why. How come the Department of Justice doesn't want to put it out there? If you want to go, Mr. Billy Badass, go down there in the middle of the night and bring the media and make a show out of it, make a show out of it. Let us know what you're looking for. It's a great question. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't have the answer to that. But I think this new article from Newsweek is really interesting because if you buy what Newsweek has to say, take that for what it is, this article that came out yesterday makes it look like that Merrick Garland is now trying to throw the FBI under the bus on this. So the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland, I think they're starting to realize oh, crap, this is this is kind of backfiring. This is firing up the base here just a little bit. Maybe I should wash my hands of this. Now, I don't necessarily believe that because I think Merrick Garland is a weasel. He's always been a weasel. I think the only reason this Newsweek article came out is because somebody from Merrick Garland's inner circle leaked it to Newsweek and said, hey, we, make, we need you to say this because even the Department of Justice knows this hasn't been a real good look right now for them. You know, I, I, I've seen a few raids. Like, I remember looking out, and I don't know, was it Jeffrey Durham? Is that the guy that from Indianapolis? He was on the circle. I looked out uh, of our window from our sixth-floor studio, and I saw a ton of cop cars in one of the big buildings downtown. It turned, I think it was Jeffrey Durham. There's two guys that got raided. And then in Zionsville, when I lived there, Subway Jared you know, he got raided, right? And I remember I was out right. of town and my guys were going, Dan, it's unbelievable. Raids usually, correct me if I'm wrong, but raids, at least in the three instances, then there was another one on a big building downtown. I forget the guy's name. He owned National Lampoon or something. But anyway, raids usually end up with the person being raided going to jail. At least that's how I look at it. Or am I looking at this wrong? Not all the time. Not all the time. A lot of these raids end up being complete nothing burgers. We hear about the stories of people going to jail, uh, but not all the time here. And if this was such a big deal, if this warranted the FBI out of Washington, D.C., keep that in mind. This was the Washington, D.C. FBI that went down to Mar-a-Lago. This wasn't Miami's FBI. This wasn't Southern Florida's. This was the same FBI unit that one week ago had a whistleblower come out to old man Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, and say, there's a lot of political bias going on here, and I'm going to give you the proof. That same office, one week later, goes down to Mar-a-Lago. And the way that they treated this, you would have thought that they found El Chapo or Bin Laden in that resort. They're going after archives. Why not just send a subpoena, send somebody down, get the archives and come back? That would have been the most rational use of taxpayer dollars, the FBI and getting what you want here. But that's not what they did. They wanted to make this a political spectacle. They wanted to embarrass Donald Trump. And maybe they did. Maybe that's mission accomplished. Maybe they got everything they wanted out of this. But you can't tell me that 
well, this wasn't a political act. Bull crap. Now, going back to whether or not this was a win for the political left, one argument to be made here, and we talked about this on our show yesterday, maybe, just maybe, the Democrats got everything they wanted out of this. Because on one hand, if they've got some sort of dirt on Donald Trump, okay, ball game. That's it. No more Donald Trump running for office. But if they've got nothing, what they've done, in essence, is eliminate Ron DeSantis from the primary. No matter what happens now, if Donald Trump chooses to win, he's going to be the nominee because the base is fired up. People feel like this is government overreach. They're going out of their way to make a spectacle here. And this comes at the same time where a lot of polls were showing the governor of Florida jumping up right there with Donald Trump. The Democrats feel like they can beat Donald Trump more so in a general election than they can Ron DeSantis. So worst case scenario for the Democrats, okay, we've embarrassed Donald Trump. We might not have anything concrete, but we've eliminated Ron DeSantis from the 2024 discussion. What do you make, and what are, what are 87,000 IRS agents going to do? What's their, God, what's their jobs going to be? Well, if you listen to the Biden administration, they're all going after billionaires, those awful, mean billionaires. The uncomfortable truth, Coach, is that this country runs better when the rich people are happy. I know people are so jealous of rich people. People hate rich people until they have the opportunity to become one. But the real truth, and maybe it's unpopular, when rich people are happy in this country, the country does better economically, with jobs, and everything else. Not everybody is the same way, but as a whole, that's how it works. So what they're telling you, what the Biden administration is telling you is that all of these new FBI agents, they're going to go after the rich people. I got news for you. There's probably maybe, what, you know, a handful of billionaires in this country, a couple hundred billionaires in this country. 87,000 FBI agents were hired. They're not coming for the billionaires. They are not coming for the billionaires. They are coming to audit you and your ass. If you own a small business, if you are somebody that's had some money come to you from a side hustle, if you had gambling winnings, if you've got money in your Venmo accounts, get ready to have your world turned upside down because that's what this is about. Not enough people pay taxes in this country, according to the FBI, uh, and they're trying to spin it as they're going after the rich people. They ain't coming after the rich people. Uh, speaking of coming after, Eric Adams is all mad at Texas for sending up illegal immigrants by the busload into New York City. I thought, I don't know, I thought New York City was a sanctuary city and Mayor Adams was all for it. What's going on here, Hammer Time? Oh, this is beautiful. This is the chef's kiss, seeing what's happening with New York City and Washington, D.C., when you've got Eric Adams and Mayor Muriel Bowser in Washington, D.C., they're the first ones, the first ones to stand up there at a press conference, look into that camera, and welcome all of the new folks coming into the United States. But when they arrive into their city, Washington, D.C. calls in the National Guard, and Eric Adams is so butthurt, he's contemplating sending New Yorkers down to Texas just to campaign against Governor Abbott. This is it. This is everything, Coach. I love this petty level of politics so much. Listen, if you want to have a sanctuary city, 
Here they are. Sanctuary it up. Be my guest. Pass out all the, you know, government funded crack pipes and all the things that you believe in. Let them stay in your front lawn. Knock yourselves out. But don't be mad when somebody calls your bluff on it. And what Governor Abbott is doing in Texas is like what all of us would do if we were drunk in a bar. Well, damn it, if I was the mayor, I would send them all on a bus and put them in their front lawn. <laughs> He's actually doing it. He's actually living the dream. He's pulling it off. I know, and they don't like it. Hey, New York no. also, we're not using the word in, we're not using inmate anymore. What are we using? What are we doing? So this is what they're working on in New York. So instead of focusing on the incredibly awful justice system that exists, the rampant crime, and now busloads of immigrants coming in, the attorney general, mind you, who uh, has not been elected in New York, this was an appointee put in from somebody that took over as the governor, um, the attorney general and the governor have now said, we're not going to use the word inmate because it's offensive. We're going to use incarcerated individuals because apparently, Coach, we can't hurt the feelings of the rapists. We can't hurt the feelings of the guy that's sitting in Rikers Island for butchering a family of five. We don't want his feelings hurt, so we can't say the word inmate anymore. Like, if you're around my age or even older, I'm 44, there's a great George Carlin stand-up comedy bit of things that used to be called one thing and now they're called something else. Do some time today to go to YouTube and look up George Carlin's soft language. Just make sure you're not around kids or at work. Hey, uh, HT, hammer time. Did you see this? Uh, tonight, I think it's tonight, the Reds and the Cubs, and we may have a Harry Carey hologram. How about that? Oh, no. Look at this. <laughs> look at this. We're going to have the Harry Carey yeah. hologram. There he is. I was doing the hologram before. It was cool, Coach. Look at that. Look at that handsome son of a bitch back there. That's Harry Carey. Uh, what an awful game that I had to put in Iowa. What did the people in Iowa do to warrant the Cubs and the Reds? Like last year, Yankees, White Sox. That makes sense. Everybody loves the Yankees and the White Sox. If you're going to do Field of Dreams, that makes sense. Should this be a White Sox game every year? Should this be like the Lions and Cowboys on Thanksgiving where they play at home every year? Should this be a White Sox home game every year? It kind of feels like it should be. Certainly shouldn't be the battle for the basement of the National League Central. The only thing, though, is Iowa Cubs are really popular, the AAA team in Iowa. So, you know, I get, you know, this is, you know, this is going to be, <laughs> the highest revenue-generating game in Fox baseball history tonight, beating oh, yeah. last year's, $250,000 per 30-second ad for a baseball game in a cornfield. How about that action? It's fun, man. I watched it last year, seeing the players come out of the cornfield, seeing the home runs go out there into the corn. It's really cool. It's just like, Tonight is like preseason football. You're excited for it until the game starts. Then you realize this is a bad game. This is a bunch of dudes that I don't know who they are. Tonight, you're going to recognize Joey Votto, and that's probably it. That is so true. Like, I'll never forget. I get excited to watch. Like, all right, uh, somebody's on a noon football game, the noon ESPN Big Ten football game. 
And then they start it, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm bored. I'm going to mow the grass. You know, you know what right. I mean? Right. Exactly and what tonight is. Football's like that. Preseason football. I'm going to gamble on it. I'm going to get wings and tacos. And about five minutes into it, every player that you know has a baseball cap on, and you're like, all right, let's see what's on HBO Max. That's absolutely right. I know you got to run, my friend. Great stuff as always. Thank you. Thank you. That's the great Jason Allen Hammer. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Allen Hammer. Uh, Hammer and Nigel is the name of the show. You can follow them on Twitter, too. You can listen on WIBC.com. It's a great show. It's hilarious. I mean, it is fun. It is smart. It is one of those shows where you go, man, this is awesome. No, seriously, it is. You know, and a lot of people, you know, one thing they don't, they don't care. They don't. They, they are not, they are unafraid. They are just simply dudes that are like you and me. They just talk and they have a great time talking. You know, one thing I haven't been on, uh, I haven't been on the YouTube chat. Sean Black says it would be better if it's the Cardinals and the Brewers. All right. There was apparently on our YouTube chat, there were all kind of discussion apparently on uh, treating my state with respect. And anybody mad today on the YouTube chat? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think there is. Uh, David Francis likes Hammer and I together. I, Hammer's easy, man. Seriously, Hammer is so freaking easy to deal with and to work with. Uh, it's great. No, all Hammer doesn't do is complain. Anyway, uh, somebody said there are 634 billionaires. I got to tell you, we've had a great week. All right. Do we have, ladies and gentlemen, bump it above, bump it above, bump it above, bump it above, bump it above. Ryan, Dylan, who is our woke adope of the week? Who is it? Who you got? Wait, what? Who is the woke adope? I need a woke adope. Let's see. New York professor claims those who don't want to mask in her classroom are racist. Man, I got to tell you, let me just, before I even get into this, can I just ask you, when you see something like that, what's the first thing you think? Like, is the first thing you think, oh, you know what? I got to look at this. This sounds interesting. This sounds like a very smart person. I want to see what the outcome of this is. Do you, number two, just bypass it? Do you just say, you know what? I got to tell you. I'm so damn tired. I, I, I'm, I'm so tired of, you know, uh, Stupid headlines. There is real racism in this country. We all know that, right? We all know. There's no doubt. There is. It's awful. Um, and we got to do what we can do to get it the heck out of here. But the truth of the matter is, when you or when you see this headline, do you say, well, that's just an idiot. I'm just an idiot. I can't deal with the stupidity of this human being. All right. Let's go through it. NYU, now I don't know what this means. NYU, SUNY, State University of New York, New Pulse professor Jessica Nidia Paban Colon, 
who is described on LinkedIn as interdisciplinary Latina feminist performance studies scholar, says, hold on, she is enforcing mask mandates in her classroom, even though, even though they are no longer required and even building mask wearing into her syllabus. She says she is going to require, then accuses students who don't wear the masks of being a racist. Now I got to tell you, um, I don't know. We cannot provide an equitable and just atmosphere for learning if we are not protecting one another by masking. Refusing to mask indoors is a manifestation of ableism and racism. An exercise of individual privilege that tells the most vulnerable that their health care does not matter. To practice community care, we will mask to protect those. All right. Hey, look, I get it. You're crazy mask lady. It's cool. Ain't nothing wrong with it. We ain't mad at you. Take a hard stand. But racist? Basically, what she's saying is that our white students won't mask and our most vulnerable are our minority students. Huh? What? When did professors become such scientists? When did professors understand, oh, wait a second here, I know science, and our minority students are far more susceptible to disease than our white students. That's what she's saying. She's saying by not, do, by not masking, you are putting the most vulnerable at risk. I got to, I got to refer to people on this. I got to refer to somebody way smarter than me here on our requiring masking class will not protect anyone from anything. Even ignoring COVID will eventually, even ignoring that COVID will eventually affect everybody regardless of what they do. New Zealand, one of the few places still requires masks has obliterated their previous records for COVID mortality. That's, I get all that. But when the hell did a SUNY something professor, is there a study somewhere that says minorities are more susceptible? Like, and I'm not talking about minorities living in, um, you know, a rich guy or a poor, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people of somewhat equal footing in a classroom. Because that's what she's doing. She's mandating it in her classroom. So basically, wherever anybody came from, wherever you came from, rich or poor, whatever, the end of the day, that doesn't matter to this conversation. What matters to this conversation is what is done in this classroom. So she is telling you that in my particular classroom, minorities are more susceptible than white people. Now, maybe that's true, but you got to show me that one. You got to show me that one. I understand healthcare is totally different outside the classroom. Don't get me wrong. I totally get that. Definitely. That I know. But in this classroom, you're telling me, man, good for her. I guess she knows more than a lot of people because I would have a hard time believing based on the argument I just made in the classroom. 
that science backs up her statement. But hey, look, when you're woke, you can say whatever you want, and you sometimes, sometimes, if you're lucky, become our woke adult. And she gets to be our woke adult. I'm not going to lie to you. Our show keeps growing, and it obviously is because of you. The YouTube chat just pumps every day. Are you kidding me? The YouTube chat don't play. The YouTube chat shows up, and then they're going to show up this afternoon when I'm out at Colts camp. I got to tell you, as I end the week, I had one of the greatest days of my summer last yesterday. I go to Colts camp, have a great day at Colts camp. Media's mad at me. Ballard, the general manager, fantastic. Aaron Torres of Fox News. We got to get Aaron on of Fox Sports next week. He was terrific. Matt Taylor, the announcer for the Colts, came on. He was awesome. Great time. Then I left Colts camp. My stepson came with me. He had a great time. He's a football player in college. He got to watch. Guy. Great time. My, I was then dropped off at a golf course by Jared, my stepson, where my brother, or excuse me, my son and I were taking on our rivals, my good friend Cameron Safali and my good friend Dr. Laconi, Dr. Brad Laconi. And I got to tell you, it was on. And it came down to 18. Laconi and I were in pocket. We play what's called the judge. The judge is this. If I get a four and you get a four, Usually in best ball, you push, you move on. Not us. We play the judge. So then we go to the second score. I get a four, you get a four. My partner gets a six. Your partner gets a seven. We win. Laconi and I are in pocket. He's hit one out of bounds. I've hit one out of bounds. Basically, uh, we're in pocket. So it comes down. My buddy F. Cameron Safali has to get up and down. He's the greatest clutch putter in America. Hits it to 10 feet. My son, I gave, him a, I gave him a pep talk. He's in the middle of the fairway. Toughest hole maybe in Indianapolis. Long par four. He's perfect. He's got 205 yards in. I'm like, dude, you hit a half-court shot for Ohio State on national TV against the number one team in the country. You got this. You got this. He rips a slice left-handed. Left side, on the, on the fringe, got about 40 feet. So he two putts for the win. It's getting dark. It's wet. What does my boy F. Cameron Safali do? Knocks it in. Now, Andrew Dockage, about seven feet, a little slider. What does he do for the win? win? Make it, and we win 110. Miss it, we lose 10. It ain't even about the money because this is our rival. What does Andrew Daniel Dockage do? Boom! Knocks it in. We go to Wolfie's. We have a beer. I have a great uh, sandwich. Wolfie's is a restaurant right over here. What a great day. Fantastic. Hope you have a great day. Hope you have a great weekend. You can catch this act from Colts Camp 107.5, The Fan. Ryan, Dylan, tremendous. We'll talk to you next week. Dockage, out for the weekend. Enjoy.